Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about video and media and audio and graphics production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today uh, we're going to have, we're going to talk about mid-journey. We know that there's a there's six is coming out somewhere in the future, but there's some new tools that I don't think we've talked about for a little while. So we're going to kind of give you an update of some of the stuff we've been playing with, and then we'll we'll do the same thing when, when six comes out. But 5.3, I don't think we've covered, and so we're going to talk about it a little bit today um, and talk about what you can do with it. Um, is, I think it's important that we keep up with all of these newfangled tools um, so that we can, uh, uh, you know, use them in production and also just know where they're at. Um, if you've got questions, uh, go ahead and throw those in. We may stop the second hour a little early because the Zoom uh, event is starting at nine and there's some pre-show stuff that we want to see. So um, so get questions in early for mid-journey because we're not going to try to stretch it out in any way, shape or form um, because uh, we may, again, have a little bit of a truncated show because of that. Uh, if you've got general questions, of course, you can use this little uh, QR code here or just go to askofficehours.com and uh, throw those, uh, you know, uh, throw your questions in there and then we'll move them in via the QR code. QR code. Uh, we'll move them into the uh, into the main show. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Mitch, what do we have? Thank you, Alex. Uh, first in, Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, how do you manage Adobe licensing for multiple products on multiple operating systems, and how easy or hard is it to move Adobe apps around? John? So Adobe comes with this manager application that manages all your apps that you install and the updates and all those things. I run it across Windows and Macintosh, no problem. I can open up two um, two license, two iterations of, of each one of the applications separately, right? Or Mitchell. simultaneously, I can't remember. Here you go, Mitchell. Yes, you are correct, John. Two, uh, two versions of the license. I used to call it two seats, and Chris corrected me and said, just for you, not for you and somebody else. So you can have two seats open at any time. I've got five computers in this room, and only two of them at a time can run Adobe. So that's the way I use it, and it's easy. Courtney? Well, they must have changed it since I licensed my Adobe, or I purchased Adobe outright before they did a... Uh, uh, a, you know, a, a license, uh, uh, yearly license sign-up subscription-based. But uh, so I have uh, Photoshop 7, which I paid like $800 for back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I put it on every one of my machines because I go from computer to computer. I have probably about 30 laptops and about, I don't know, 40 or 50 PCs of various sizes, including these little, a lot of these little ones. And I want to have it available to touch up stuff on whatever computer I am, I am on. And they're licensing. I just, you know, previously, the only way you could do it is you had to sign on to one that has it installed, unins I mean, undeactivate it, then go on another one that it's on, installed in, then activate it on that one. And then it's like, now, which one do I have it activated out of my 40 PCs? Which one is it activated on? I don't remember. And you'd have to log into the one that it was activated on to log off of it before you could log into one on another. And it just became unmanageable. So now I just use my one copy that isn't. They don't check. 7.1 was the last version of Photoshop where they did, didn't check in with the mothership every time to have licensing. So I use that on all my machines. I'm the only person that uses it. I'm not selling it or giving it away to anyone else so technically i'm not voiding it but at least it's there and working on any machine that i pick up that don't that i own good mitchell 
Yeah, Courtney's uh, uh, using a legit version of it. That's a legit version to do with version 7. Unfortunately, I own all of the, the Adobe products way back when, before the subscription nonsense started. And the problem is you need to use the subscription in order to have the ability to integrate all the products back and forth. So you won't get a newer version of it unless you go subscription. It's the only way to do it. And go, Chris. Yeah, uh, what Courtney's talking about is the past. Um, actually, Courtney, they have a really good solution for it uh, currently. What they have, it they call it cloud for uh, for business or cloud for teams, whatever. And they'll just ask you to uh, uh, subscribe forty times, one for each machine. It's really simple. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I will admit that it does it does reduce the amount of interest I have in some of the you know the wider Adobe products because I'm just like oh that'd be something I'd have to deal with um, and uh, but I, I do have Photoshop and I use the substance tools the substance tools still are really great for prepping things for USDZ um, so I use some of the substance tools there and I have um, so I pay for that subscription which is actually pretty expensive and then I pay for the Photoshop uh, subscription and uh, I have to admit that the regen the the you know the new generative AI stuff in Photoshop is the first thing that I felt like wow this is this is a reason that I should have been upgrading all this time <laughs> you know, everything in between I was kind of like like I'm still I still wish I could go back to Illustrator six um, next question from Douglas Carmichael uh, when working with churches or other charitable organizations how do you change your planning or budgeting strategy compared to the for profit world. Um, it's what it costs to do it. I mean, I think for the most part, I mean, oftentimes we find, we try to find with nonprofits a way to, um, you know, oftentimes trade off, like we'd like to get some PR for working with you and we can do it for a little less or we can do it, you know, there's a bunch of different things we can do to kind of help them work through that. Um, and so that's one of the things that we've done to try to kind of lower the impact. Uh, a well-run nonprofit when working with external folks is going to pay the same amount of money as everybody else. Um, but most of them have a little trouble doing that. And I think it's also a mindset. They're used to having a lot of free labor. Um, typically what happens with a nonprofit is you have a handful of people getting a salary and then and then you have um, a lot of people that are volunteering for that. And and so what you want to do is really have great people at the center of that that, are, that you are paying um, because they're the ones that are kind of guiding and helping everybody else go. And the, the mistake that some nonprofits make is not having really highly skilled folks in the center and not paying them very much. And then it really reduces the effectiveness of the entire volunteer staff. So that's that's it's kind of an odd, um, you know, uh, juxtaposition there. Courtney? Yeah, I, I, I charge uh, charitable organizations the same amount unless, and if it's something that I believe in and they're asking me to do it for free or something, I'll say, well, you know, that's hard to make you know, tax issues uh, erupt with that. And uh, if it's something I really believe in, I'll say, well, go ahead and I'll do it at my regular price so I'm not uh, diluting my uh, price to everyone else and you pay me and I'll sign my check over as a donation uh, to the company that way. Bookkeeping-wise, it shows up as a actual, you know, I'll write you a check as a charitable donation. But um, trust me, uh, a lot of churches, there's some of the best setups and the most expensive equipment, and the people, the executives at a lot of those nonprofits are still making a pretty good salary, so they can afford to pay, you know, your regular salary along the way. And if it's something you want to donate to, do like I said, write them a check after you get paid. Next question. 
Shetian Flee Flo Yersvold from Norway. Um, I'm conducting an intro course to ChatGPT soon, and I'm looking for inspiration. What are some of the panel's most creative uses of ChatGPT? John? Uh, when I do my presentation on ChatGPT, I'll do a poem. I'll do a business contract. Um, lyrics. I'll do a. I'll do a translation into uh, at least one different language, and then I show a hallucination. So I have a, a question that I know that it gets wrong, and the crowd loves that when I do it and get it to say something wrong. Uh, Courtney, you know I found it. It's great for writing children's books. Uh, so if you've got kids or grandkids, you can custom have it write a custom children's book and involve all the kids' names and the the pets from the family and just give it a scenario and let it go and it'll write about a three-page uh, three-page story that has a beginning, middle, end and conflict and resolution and it almost always has a happy ending. And then you can get Midjourney or Dolly too to generate some illustrations for it. Uh, so you can generate and even print out a little children's book uh, very quickly, you know, in just a matter of a few minutes. Yeah, I I, uh, I did have to do some stories as a test, and they were actually not, not too bad. I said that uh, you know I I um uh, I asked uh, I asked ChatGPT to write a, a a romantic comedy about snails that was uh, that was a um, uh, as if it was directed by Michael Bay, and uh, and it was uh, and, and it had it had these two snails that were in a classroom and this, this, this geeky and, yeah. this slightly geeky snail like the like the cool girl but there was a you know there was this kind of macho snail who then dared him to a race and the two of them had to race inside of the little you know the little aquarium that's inside the classroom and it was it wasn't it was not going to win an oscar but it was as good as most Saturday morning cartoons. I think this is what the writers were so worried about. I was like, I could fill a lot of time. You know, like if you're just trying to fill time, that that you know, I could see why the people would be concerned. Uh, but I think that that being able to tell, you know, you can do things like that. Like, tell me a story about a, a story about two snails, a romantic comedy about two snails and a class that are in a classroom, uh, but directed by Michael Bay, and it'll give you something that is uh, there. I I also like if you're showing things that are kind of fun, um, fortune cookies as Klingons. Or, you know, like fortune cookies for Klingons or for Star Trek or Star Wars or or Romulans. And it will just give you give me 10 of these and it'll just give you 10, 10 questions uh, or, t or 10 fortune cookies that are very much like in the line of of that culture inside of Star Trek, which I find to be fascinating. Um, and then uh, I, you know, I ask it a lot of things. So one of the things the big thing that I that I do when I'm um that I really focus on is, is source method, you know, destination, which is you are this, I tell it what it is. I want you to do this and I want you to point it at this, you know, so it's, it's, I've said this before on some of the shows, but I want, you are Richard Feynman, explain quantum mechanics to a fifth, fifth grader or explain a bit, you know, uh, you know, explain Bitcoin to a fifth grader or, or something like that. And all of these things, if, if it knows where it's coming from, what it's doing and where it's going, it's actually generally pretty good at what it does. And so, um, and then finally, uh, cook a lot of meals that I've, that I've had chat GPT. Um, I'm, I have it all. My chat GPT Osh soup is all cut up and about to go into the pot sometime today. So, um, but I just said, I want Osh soup that fills, 11 liters <laughs> 11, it makes 11 liters of soup and out came a, a recipe and I made a couple adjustments, but not nothing major. And I, I make it a, every couple of weeks. Next question. 
Bonnie Hofsoy from Tromso, Norway, asking, Zoomtopia kicks off today. Which session are you most interested in and why? I think one of the things that we're really hoping to do is have someone go over. There's, some, I think that there's going to be kind of a production expo um, that is that hopefully we'll be able to take a look at what what they have there to show off some of the production tools that that are there. I don't know how much of what we do is going to be in the keynote. Um, that's a whole other uh, whole other conversation. So, um, but uh, but I think that we, um, uh, but I think that we're gonna. I think it'll be interesting to see what comes out. I think Zoom is working on a bunch of stuff, so we'll we'll keep you up to date and uh, hopefully get somebody. Maybe we have a couple people there. Get them to come in from the floor, maybe into after hours. We'll do some announcements if that happens. Next question: Peter Rosado from Las Vegas, Nevada. Thoughts: The evolution of theater space use continues as spoken about in office hours, and I think it involves Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I looked at the article. It, it it really talks about them just doing concert films, uh, editing them, and then releasing them in theaters, which have been around for a long time. It's not anything really new. I mean, the band and Woodstock, and there have been con- a lot of concert films produced. But these, for their individual tours, they're doing a film for each of their individual tours and then releasing it in theaters. It might be interesting. Now, these aren't live-streamed of their tours. That might dilute their live audience. This is something else entirely. It's a cut-down version of their performances at their live shows. So it could uh, generate a following for the people that even saw the live shows, want to go see the film from the live show. So it generates a broader audience. It gives something to put out there in theaters while the actors are on strike. Uh, And, uh, you know, it it keeps people in the seats. How much more money it's going to return. I don't think they're going to garner the kind of ticket prices that they would at a concert. But, you know, it's a little additional revenue that comes in and it keeps the theaters uh, in business to sell a lot of their popcorn, you know. Yeah, I, I think that over the next four to five years, you're going to see a huge transition to more live events in theaters because, and, and this is, this, these aren't live, as, as Courtney said. I actually don't think that the, that the live events would, um, a live stream of a, I, I think a live stream of a concert they wouldn't do, but them doing a live event before their tour, for instance, would probably make no impact. Number one is if they did it right before their tour started, they will have sold, already sold all the tickets because <laughs> they sell those a long time in advance. And uh, the other thing is, is that I don't think that people would go, to, I think you would, they, these two artists would just double dip. They'd have, they'd have people go to that show. Most, a huge number of people that are going to the movies have already seen them in concert. I was talking to a friend of mine last week. He said his wife and daughter went to see the, you know, they spent a lot of money to go see the show and they immediately bought tickets to see the movie. So there, you know, there's, I think that there's not much, not much crossover there. Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I was going to say, I I think what you're seeing here is the most successful tour of all time, which I think is the Eras tour, which is going to make more money than the the next two or three combined, have worked out a way how to double dip, as you say, um, for two ways. One, for people to repeat the experience, and you go to a, a concert for the experience, for being present. Most of us, where we sit, we can't see the artists anywhere, we're watching the screens, but you're going for the experience. So you get a chance to repeat and relive that experience. And second of all, the, these huge concerts, the prices, as we know, are, are incredible for the for the tickets. So what you, they're doing is monetizing people who can't afford that and giving them the opportunity at $20 or whatever the price of the ticket is, or even less than that potentially, to get some of that experience. So while it's a much lesser experience, it actually opens it up to a, another audience. And you might find 
then it makes an incredible increase. I think the Eras Tour has made over a billion dollars. It'll be interesting to know, is this 5 million on top of that? Is this 10 million on top of this? It's, Could this be 100 million on top of it? If it's done worldwide, if it's 100 million, that's an unmeasurable impact. Uh, 75 million so far, pre-sold. Well, no, that, that, there you go. That's, that's a good increase. Go ahead, Chris. I think this is a, the, the idea of a, a tour and then a, a, a concert, you know, a concert film about that. I mean, it's a, it's a well, well used, uh, uh, thing. I mean, uh, Paul McGinnis has been a, a master of this going back to, um, you know, uh, live at the, uh, what was it? Red Rocks when you two did the Red Rocks concert and then they released the film about it, uh, you know, rattle and hum was a whole movie about, Joshua Tree, uh, this gets done, the the one I always reference is the Boston tour from 2001 and uh, the the French tour from 2015 uh, after the the terrorist bombing or a shooting rather in in Paris when a month later you two did a great show there and the concert films are a different experience. It's the same thing that all those people are going and standing in line and watching a wonderful show from one angle. But if you wait and get the movie, you get it from 20 angles, uh, directed by a, a masterful director. Both businesses are very uh, lucrative. Maybe, I think that the concert is more lucrative, but... I don't think it's a problem showing it later. You're not going to take away from the live. The people that want to see it live are going to go. They don't care. You know, they don't they don't want to wait 6 8 months for the film to come out. Yeah, the I mean, a lot of it has to do with number of tickets, the number of seats. So, you know, the arenas are mostly limited to about 70,000 seats. Uh AMC and Regal and everybody um, you know, they you combine those and you're getting closer to uh, six million seats. Um, mm-hmm. It depends on ha- what penetration that you can get into that market. Um, so let's say if you had a virtual venue that was a million seats thick and they were charging $25, that's $25 million in one night. That is twice what Taylor Swift's making every night. And and so the thing is, is the math, the math there is so big that this will, and, and here's the other thing. Right now, for the first six weeks of a film release, the theaters make money on popcorn. So there's, you know, they make money on a long run, but on the, on short runs, they make very little money because the studios keep most of it. And, um, and so they can continue to do popcorn, but the math starts to change, uh, if they're, if the theaters are able to keep more of the money than they could from a film release. And so, and the, and the reality is that, you know, I know a lot of people say it's better to see a film with every, with a lot of other people who are responding to the film, but very few people I know actually think that. You know, for the most part, most people are just annoyed by everyone eating and talking and doing all the things that they do at a theater. Um, and so, the, you know, paying to do go to via, to a VOD that you can have at home and your fifteen hundred dollar eighty inch screen TV <laughs> with a surround bar, um, you know, doesn't is going to make less and less sense every year because those screens are going to keep on getting bigger and higher resolution. The surround is going to get better, and it's just not going to make sense to go, you know, especially at the prices that are, they're charging now, even just for parking. You know, like it, it cost me for four people, it cost me one hundred fifty dollars to go to a, to a, you know with popcorn and drinks and parking and the the tickets and everything else. 
um, you know, it's not that that is not going to keep being successful. Um, but you do want to be around a lot of people if you're going to a show. Watching a concert at at home feels a little pathetic <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know, like you, there's something about being able to be at a live event and interact with the feel like you're interacting or interacting with other people that are that are into it. So I think that there's a huge value in what we're doing. I think this is just the beginning. These films are the easiest way to distribute it, but I think that there's going to be a lot. I think you'll see a lot more uh, in this area. Next question. Michael Weber from Foxborough, Massachusetts says, I have an ATEM Constellation, X32 console, and a Web Presenter 4K. What is the best way to feed a Mix Minus into the Web Presenter, which only has SDI inputs, an SDI audio embed device, and will an embedder eliminate any existing audio on that SDI feed? Go, Jason. I'll take the last question first. Will will an embedder eliminate any audio? Uh, yeah, absolutely. If if you set it to embed over, then yes, it will. I assume you're using the web presenter for um, for taking a call, basically for for Skype as a webcam going back out. In which case, um, the the process is pretty simple. I would use the ATEM to do it. And if you had a mix minus, you know, on the X32, you would put the mix minus onto a bus. And then from the bus, um, your, your return could either be an embedder or um, you can just throw it into another SDI channel natively and um, and then just set that as the output for, um, for the input to the uh, web presenter. Yeah, and the... Uh I believe that, and I haven't used it this way because we we tend to not um, we tend to not do do what you're kind of trying to do. We tend to have another thing that's doing the embedding and it goes out and everything else. And what what's going back to them, we manage all in the audio chain. So all in the X32, um, we don't have the audio going into the constellation. If you're doing that. There are settings in the constellation to set up mix minus for every input. So as those folks are coming on, in on input, there is a mix minus setting um, inside of your control panel that you could use for that. So if you're doing all the audio inside of that, um, you should be able to just use the ATEM for that. We don't. We tend to when we have these these sources come in, we're using Dante, uh, you know, virtual sound card from a, a series of Mac Minis. We bring them into the X32. We do all the mix minuses there. We, you know, in, well, and we let Zoom do all the mix minuses inside the conversation. So it depends on how you're setting this all up. So we, the mix minus here between us is being handled by Zoom. Our raw output is going out to a mix. Um, that is then being embedded for the show and brought back in. So we our systems are a little bit different. If we're doing it back and forth to a system, we build those mix minuses in our mixer. But if you're doing all video sources with embedded audio, you should be able to do a mix minus. You can set those mix minuses inside the ATEM um, to uh, handle those those individual inputs. Quick reminder, of course, that you can ask, ask questions throughout the hour. You can see this little QR code here. Um, you, go, you can also go to askofficehours.com and... Um, Ask those questions and we'll throw them in so you, you don't need to log in. If you are logged in, you can vote on those questions and let us know what order you're in. You can chat with others. But if you just want to ask a question, go ahead and do that. And a reminder that if you go into Discord uh, and under the Alex announcements, you'll see a link to the test flight for the radio app. The radio app now has a link directly to be able to ask questions from there as well. And you can ask them 24-7. Right now is great, but you can also ask them 24-7 from that uh, from the QR code from this URL, askofficehours.com, and we will uh, bring them in in the morning as we get ready for the show. Next question. 
Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas, asking Google yesterday launched Chromebooks Plus, which will be made by Acer, Asus, HP, and Lenovo with AI camera and video conferencing control panel. Please discuss. Go ahead, John. Not a fan of any of the Chromebooks. They have limited life. These are i3s. These are these are crippled machines. They've got maybe one year if you're getting a free one from school, but still you're limiting your child's growth. Sorry, uh, go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, so let's give a bit of context here. So I think the PC shipments are around 200 million a year. Um, it's really hard to know exactly because 21 and 22 were spike years, COVID years, and lots of people replaced their machines. But they're going to settle around about 50 or 60 million uh, units a quarter. Uh, if you look at Chromebooks, in the comparison to that, they're probably going to be about 20 million units a year. So they're about 10% of the, the PC market. By the way, PC market spiked at over 300 million uh, units a year. That's the impact of iPads and tablets and stuff on it. So they're about 10% of the PC market, but they're still 20 million units. And they're important to uh, Google because they drive an operating system that drives part of an ecosystem. And so that they'll always be there and they'll always be a very good way uh, for low-cost educational uh, organizations that need simple access to, to online technologies but can't afford the cost not only of the PC but of the maintenance and management of the PCs which is you know often multiple the actual cost of acquiring the PCs so while they are limited function there will be a market for them for a number of reasons I go ahead Courtney yeah I agree with Nigel it's they're doing a really strong push I just saw a uh, commercial yesterday on network TV about pushing into schools stating that you know Chromebooks is the only uh, are the only system that have been immune to ransomware. Apparently, I don't didn't know this, but that's what they're promoting in their commercials for school use. And because they're for school use, an i three is probably fine for composing stuff. I wouldn't buy one as my main daily driver or home computer. But for school use, it's perfect because you know they're cheap enough that even the disadvantaged students or the school districts that aren't really rich can afford to buy them for a lot of their students. And those those uh, books that are handed down from those uh, laptops or tablets that are handed down from student to student over a couple of semesters or years, you know, get trashed or get stolen. So you don't want to be giving them $2,000 iPads or $1,000 iPads to each student uh, if they're going to be, you know, stolen or broken or, you know, put into backpacks and crushed. Uh, over the years, so they're designed to be slightly disposable, and they live in the Google Google uh, ecosystem, which is they have a really good educational system designed for collaboration. And now that they're adding uh, video conferencing uh, and a little more capable processors for doing all that processing of video and and communications, I think it's it's a win for them. I think, in my opinion. Home computers, like, I'm not going to group which one, but PCs and Mac OS, iOS, Linux, Chrome OS. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, that's what that's what you're giving to kids. So, Sometimes you need a Datsun to crash that's, car as a crash car. Technically, that's a Yugo. Um, anyway, according, according to the journey. So, so the, 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 um, the issue is, is that what, what, what Google did really well was they went to ask teachers, what are you doing right now? 
and then they got what the teachers wanted right now, not teachers who don't do a lot of this or don't look forward on it, just looks at what they're doing in their classroom. And then Google poured an enormous amount of concrete into the classroom of this is the way it's always going to work. They did a great job at solving the problems of the day that they started to push, push them in, but it's very hard to move forward now because they've created this substandard system where kids just learn how to type and build bad pictures. When the thing is, is that what they have to do is be creative in the future. <laughs> they have to be able to create things and do things and be able to communicate effectively. The iPads, by the way, are about three, $300 for, for education. <laughs> so, so three, you know, so they're a little bit more than the Chromebooks, but not much. Um, I think Apple did blow it in not creating f good fleet management when it began. Um, but I think that the, um, but I think that what, what we've done now is just poured concrete into the past. And so schools now are embedded into that. They would have, you know, they, they very much would, the kids could be a lot more creative, um, communicate a lot more effectively, do a lot more with their, with their machines, um, other than just doing homework and being able to file things. So building little bots that will be replaced by chat GPT, Google Chromebooks are perfect for that, is to build people who are, you know, build students who are going to graduate and then be replaced by a machine. Uh, for things that you actually have to be creative at and be able to do something to be able to think outside the box, the iPads would have been a much better choice. And the iPads are marginally more expensive, but here in California, we are, instead of buying iPads, we've decided to, to pay for horrible lunches for kids who, who can already afford it. And we're going to give it to all of them um, instead of buying technology that would actually move them forward. So it's, you know, and, and, I, and I get the, you know, the penny pinching process, but there was always money to do what needed to be done. Um, and, uh, and we made a lot of bad choices there. <laughs> Next question. Adam Feinsilver from Los Angeles, California asked, I've got an M2 Mac Mini Pro that I just set up a few months ago. Clean install, not migrated. Is it still recommended to wipe this machine before installing Sonoma? I'm hoping Alex doesn't respond with, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. I feel like I want to be the barbershop quartet here. Like, it just depends. In this case, it, it really just depends on what you're doing. If you're doing this right, and I assume you mean a, a Mac Mini Studio, most of what you're doing is it would come in from the App Store. Your browser and all your important stuff is going to sync. You can very quickly pull on and off your, you know, documents to documents, uh, desktop to desktop, et cetera, et cetera, with your folder structure. So um, I guess it depends on what you're doing that is off the beaten path. If what you're doing is off the beaten path, you shouldn't be using a brand new browser that came out last week. And if it is for some reason necessary, um, and you only did it a few months ago, why not just do it? But no, you don't have to. Again, you're, that's the wrong person because I probably still wait for a couple more months, <laughs> let everything settle. If you're not doing anything major, then then you don't have a lot of production apps, then I think you could probably go ahead and throw things in. Chris will throw them and do it either way. Um, but, uh, but, I, but, I will, um, but I would say I'd probably just wait. And then I would probably do a clean install, um, you know, to, to make that work. Yeah, good, Chris. Yeah, <clears throat> there's the right way to do it, and then there's the way that's that's a that's short-term efficient, potentially long-term nightmare. I will tell you, I have not done a clean install of an OS in maybe five OSs. I just do the yeah, do the update thing. Uh, I'm working at uh, a pretty high level. You know, I'm not making any ma major motion pictures, but I I depend on my machines to work. And and they do so. There's always a gamble. It's it's kind of like the uh, the always convert everything to ProRes debate that Alex and I always have. You know, 
It all, it has to be ProRes. Yeah, it might be better if it's ProRes, but 90% of the time it's not a problem and I save a ton of a ton of transcoding time. A ton of transcoding time by only transcoding when it does become a problem. Alex is smirking. Go ahead, smirk away. Let's put Alex on screen. I'm just, I'm just saying that when it, when, no, no. when it doesn't go well, it goes really when bad. When it doesn't go well, it's, it's bad. But mo- I'm, I'm telling you from experience, most of the time, it's okay. And I save a ton of transcoding time. When it's a problem, it's like, I bet you I'm going to pull an Alex and I'll transcode the footage and then I move past it. But I think the, the other the, 90% of the time, I didn't have to do that. Yeah, but the problem is, is that if you don't know why it's not working, suddenly you just have your software crashing. <laughs> what? It's usually an Alex. It's like, ah, yeah, no, it's probably an Alex thing. Yeah, so then I so do anyway. it. Yes. But most of the time, I don't need to. They're, they're, yeah. I, I'm a Ferengi in this business. I'm trying to make a profit. I'm trying to work efficiently and quickly. Boom. Well, and I get when it comes to transcoding, like it's not like I sit around waiting for transcodes. I someone sends me something, I have a machine that just sits there, and I, we just throw it in there and just just cook it. And I just you know I don't think about it. Like by the time I see it, it's not like I usually have to Spare grab machines. onto it the moment it shows up. Spare yeah. machines. Oh yeah. Spare machines. I work on the same machine all day long. Spare machines are amazing. Uh, go ahead, Jason. This is like saying I know a third of my potential upgrades always um, end in tragedy. I just don't know which third. <laughs> uh, next question. Jonas Dottel from Stuttgart, Germany. It looks like most of the sessions are hidden at Zoomtopia for non-U.S.-based customers. Or is it everyone only seeing 20 of sessions? Uh, I haven't really looked at that that deeply. I don't expect Zoom to do a lot of announcements that would pertain to us. So, um, so I didn't look that much at the sessions about what what we're doing there. I, I kind of want to see the pre-show and I want to see the uh, a little bit of the opening remarks. But but I'm I'm mostly interested in in uh, what is on the expo floor um, and seeing what what they might have for broadcasters and so on and so forth. I think that. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Zoom's focus is really as much on the broadcast area as it has been in the past. And so, um, so I haven't worried about that much. I will say that I know you're trying to get in from Germany. I can tell you if there's one country that isn't going to work for many, many things, it's Germany. <laughs> like, so it's, well, as a, someone who streamed, uh, it was, it's a constant problem. There's a, there's a lot of IP things in Germany that are different than the rest of the country. So I don't know if it's all of, if, if it's all of Europe or the rest of the world or just Germany that can't get it. Cause it could be that there's music playing in the background or something like that. And they're just afraid of it getting shut off or getting there's Germany happens to be when I was, when I've done a lot of streams, Germany has been extremely restrictive in what we can and can't do. And so as a result, we oftentimes commented out Germany's uh, servers because we just couldn't manage what, what we had to do with the government. So I don't know if that's still the case or not. I haven't had to do that for a while. Um, but it may not be all, it'd be interesting for people to let us know in the comments as to whether they can see more sessions. Um, then, but, but I can tell you that that has been an issue in the past for a lot of different events that I've worked on where, uh, Germany doesn't get the videos because there's a bunch of restrictions and it's not so much that those videos would cross over those restrictions, but a lot of companies have decided that it wasn't, it just, they just got frustrated with the ins and outs of it and decided to stop figuring it out. Um, I don't know if it's gotten better, but it has been a problem in the past. Um, next question. Craig Kadoki in Toronto, Canada. New article about an AI imposter of Tom Hanks doing dental ads. What are your thoughts? Go, John. Don't believe anything you see or hear or read now, moving forward from now. This, this I haven't seen this particular one with Tom Hanks, but there's a big one with Mr. Beast where you've won an iPhone and send us $10 for shipping. So especially with the elections coming up next year, there's going to be a ton of this stuff coming. 
Courtney? Well, the stuff he's talking about are actual scams, the email things you'll get maybe. But as far as advertising goes, we've we've been had the we've had these for years. You know, celebrity voice impersonated. How many times you've heard that on radio commercials? Uh, they've been doing that for years. They especially with the local or regional advertisers, local TV stations will produce spots and they'll hire celebrity lookalikes, and they'll usually run a disclaimer at the bottom. You know, celebrities impersonated uh, to get them off the hook legally. Uh, so this isn't new. The only new thing is that the images, rather than hiring some guy who looks like Tom Cruise, they get a deep fake of Tom Cruise, and somewhere they'll put a little disclaimer in there, and or not call him Tom Cruise. They'll just call it, you know, Fred Johnson, and it'll be a synthetic actor. Uh, so celebrities are going to have a problem with this. You know, they might be able to sue, but most of the time the people they're suing is a local TV station who doesn't have deep pockets. Regular advertising agencies avoid this kind of stuff. You know, real national ad ad campaigns really avoid this stuff without, uh, unless they have the cooperation of the celebrity to create the stuff. Go ahead, Mitchell. Courtney, you mean that that might not be Tom Selleck trying to sell me a reverse mortgage? Hmm. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. Tom Selleck. (laughs) Yeah. The, um, the, I don't, I haven't seen the actual ad, so it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, I I don't know how, how good it actually is. Um, but, uh, I, I will agree that you probably should, uh, not believe anything you're looking at. (laughs) It's important to, I think that's actually very healthy for people. Like to, I think we need to get past the idea. I mean, I think that there was a great, um, uh, we were doing a, um, the interview that we did last week on on um, on gray matter, you know, the the guest was talking about that. He goes, you know, we we keep on talking about the good old days when when we had control of the, you know, when when media was something you could trust. And he goes, that's never really been the case. <laughs> you know, like there was a lot of. It's not like we should have been able to trust the media sometime in the future. It was just that it was centralized in a handful of hands that were, you know, um, manufacturing, be- you know, belief systems inside of that. So I think that the that I think it's important that what I what I really think is healthy here is the destruction of believing what you see and hear and without you know you know a lot of evidence you know i think that it's important for any area for people not to believe what they see the first time they see it there are usually many extenuating circumstances and many you know um things that that happen my my uh, you know i've been involved in enough cases you know legal cases where when you really dig into them, what what seemed obvious becomes very confusing and non-obvious, you know, or downright wrong in cases that we knew, we thought we knew everything about, you know, and I entered those cases thinking that the person is one way and exited them going, oh, no, this is completely different than that. And so I, I think that uh, I, I think that we it's it's important that we that we as a society um really start to focus like jurors, like responsible jurors of, I need to see all the evidence. I need to see it from a couple of different angles. I need to understand what's ha- actually happening and critically um, analyze what we're looking at, not just go, well, I saw a video of this or, or that. That doesn't mean anything. And I think that it's important. It, it hasn't ever really meant anything or it hasn't e- ever told the whole story, but now it's telling no story, which I think is actually pretty healthy. Go ahead, John. One of the pieces of legislation that's being considered is a piece of technology that's invented by DeepMind out of Google, where they have digital encrypted watermarks for anything generated, whether it's GPT or it's image generation or video generation, where it will have a digital watermark. So it will be 
denoted as as generated. Nigel, yeah, I've been through two situations that included a bomb blasts. Uh, one, uh, I was in a newsroom for the bomb blast that nearly killed Mrs. Thatcher in Brighton. I mean, 50 years ago, probably it is now. And the other, we lived downtown Boston uh, during the Boston bombing. And, and while I don't mean that I had a bad experience, lots of people have been through worse. What I had was a close-up view of A, how newsrooms, and B, how the media view a story that is happening in front of them that they don't understand. And trust me, they're no smarter than the rest of us. And what they don't know, they make up. Uh, they try and produce a good story, so they will fill in gaps where they don't have them. They won't correct themselves. They won't reverse themselves. So I think Alex said, I think the most important lesson of the modern media world, which is triangulate, find multiple ways of looking at the same story and just assume everybody is trying to sell you something. Courtney? Yeah, one of the issues that's coming up in the SAG negotiations with the producers is a problem with AI in that, you know, the technology has gotten so good that the deep fake replacements can be used and actors, when they sign a contract to do a movie, are kind of starting to worry about the fact that, you know, in post-production, they got paid for the movie, they're starring in the movie, their name's in the movie. Uh, and let's say the director in post-production decides he wants to rewrite a scene. They won't reshoot it. They'll just put the new dialogue in with the synthesized voice of the actor and the synthesized image of the actor and create a new scene or maybe even just change a few lines to change the direction of the script or something. And so they'll use the artificially generated uh, voice of the actor and image of the actor moving their lips in sync. It's gotten so good that it's difficult to tell when it's a synthetic actor. And the actor now is faced with the fact that their performance is being generated by a computer, and maybe it's not as good as they thought it could be. They may still getting, be getting paid for the movie, but the contractor is going to have to reflect that either the producer has or does not have the right to make changes to the performance that is generated that they've already paid for. So that's kind of a sticking issue with AI and how it can be you know, kind of perverted and the, the problem that actors are going to be facing. And they say, well, I didn't act that scene. That was all AI. You know, they could disclaim it later. Good, Mitchell. Yeah, at a completely different uh, angle. I think it's ultimately going to come up to the consumer to decide if they can trust the message that they're getting because nobody else is in their court. You just have to decide on your own. So maybe there's room for an app that says, I trust this so much. This is uh, 90% accurate or this is 20% accurate or this is a deep fake. Maybe they, there needs to be some kind of indicator that says make your and own not decision. Be manipulated. That, then yeah. that would be manipulated. It's it. Oh, okay. what, what's important. You. It's important that no one believes anything. Like it, it, it that that you that you say I got to look at all these things or I'm not going to make a decision. And like I, you know, people have to get that there's no safe place. There never has been. And as someone who has worked in hundreds of events that have been reported on, exactly what Nigel was talking about, I can tell you that that I've seen the manipulation. I've seen just inaccurate reporting. I've been part of the manipulation. <laughs> so, so the thing is, is that I can tell you some of it was calculated. Some of it was, some of it is just like, we're managing the conversation. We're managing how we want this to occur for people. And, and, and so, and, and that can be, it can be very, there's a lot of subtle things that you can do. Like one of the things that I have done in the past is I have a very high level event. I put my cameras on isolated risers 
you know, that are weighted um, with very high-end cameras. And I let the rest of the press share a uh, riser with the photographers. And then I give them a feed. I give them a, a, you know, I give them the press feed, both video and audio. The, uh, the video and audio that come out of my system are, is, it doesn't look anything different because my operator is still sitting on that shared riser. But my center camera is four inches from the riser on a weighted setup with a Super 35 sensor. I put it exactly where I want it. And, all, and every other camera angle looks like this. And mine is rock solid that looks like a film. You know, and now which camera are they going to take? <laughs> you know, like at, at, you know, from when they see both, they see their own press feed coming in over their little live view and they see mine going in the press pull over the switch, which one are they going to take? They're going to take mine. You know, like, you know, and then I control at this point as the producer, I control the conversation. I control what they're looking at. I control that, that, that process. Now I mostly do it because I just want the quality of it to be there. I can't give everybody the perfect shot. Um, but you can see how that, that's a very subtle thing to do, you know, because you're just giving everybody something, but it's still taking control of the, of the, uh, of the conversation there. And that's the kind of stuff that, that happens all the time. And it's nothing, there's nothing, you know, if you, if you're really manipulating it, that's one thing. But, but I think that, but you just have to understand that things can be subtly guided down a path. Um, and that's just one, you know, if, if you take a hand, if you take 50 people and you shoot with a wide angle shot, it looks like nobody showed up. If you shoot with a longer angle and lift the camera up by about a foot, it'll look like there's a huge crowd around the same, the same person and the same protest or the same, you know, gathering. And so all of those things are that, that's not lying. But it's definitely not telling the truth. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Ah, so that's how they get a dozen extras on um, on <laughs> NCIS to look like a crowd. No, I've I've always wondered. Um, Scott versus Harris, a 2007 Supreme Court decision. There was a really neat um, experiment about that car chase for video as evidence. Uh, take a look at it. Another quick reminder that, of course, you can ask questions throughout the first hour about mid-journey or about general things. You can ask 24-7. You can use askofficehours.com or use that little QR code. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's, has anyone switched from a pair of monitors, 2 by 24 inch or 27 inch, to a single ultra-wide solution? Go ahead, Jason. No, and I'll tell you why. Most ultra-wide monitors are low resolution and they're terrible quality. You know, there there are some that are pretty good quality. I think the LGs look pretty nice. Um, some of the Samsungs look nice. I just like to have the flexibility of putting the monitors where I where I want them. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I I agree. I don't think the quality is good. And if it's curved, like a lot of these ultra wide ones, can you really get a circle in there somewhere and have it be perfectly a circle? Hmm. Yeah, go ahead, um, Courtney. Yeah, I don't like the curved monitors either. Mainly because of the reflection. They reflect, you know, they're a parabolic curve. So they reflect light from any angle back off the screen. And, and as you move your head, the, the reflection moves in the opposite direction that you'd think it move. And it gives you, it, it makes it disorienting for me. So I don't like anything that has any kind of reflectivity screen, any kind of highly reflective screen on a curved surface. It just is, is a no for me. Next question. Joe Kidd from Bay Area, California. Have any members of the panel experimented with a powered Thunderbolt hub with iOS 17 on handsets with a USB controller? 
Good, Jason. Um, yeah, I've used the, un, um, what is it? Uh, I've got it right here. Uh, OWC Thunderbolt Go Dock, and it, it worked pretty nicely. Next question. Next one in is for me. Uh, how would you rate the OWC Envoy, Envoy, Envoy Pro FX SSD external drive for an older Mac Pro running Premiere Pro? No Thunderbolt. Go, Jason. That's an excellent drive. Uh, the issue that I would be concerned about is if you don't actually have USB 3.2 uh, generation 2, that it might not be getting enough voltage to actually do what it's supposed to be doing. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, my use case is an old Power Mac cheese grater with a Sonnet uh, card in it doing 3.0. So I'm, I'm sure that will I be wouldn't, good. But the, I wouldn't me. do that. I wouldn't do that if I were you. All right. You gotta have to give up the cheese grater. That's all I'm saying. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have. They, I know they're gonna pry it out of your cold dead hands. But <laughs> I, mean, I keep telling just, it, one more year, just one I'm more just year. You, there's a lot of computers that have come out since the cheese grater that are pretty awesome. They're pretty awesome. Like I'm just saying that I, you know, I, I just I have a cheese grater in the house. I'm gonna put it back here as a museum piece in my wall of depreciation. Welcome but to 2023, as, Mitch. But not as not a, it's part of my wall of depreciation museum, but not as a a um uh not as a actual used used case. Um, I have I a, guess I guess I the emotionally attachment is not a uh, good case. One of the upsides of you know everyone's trying everyone was uh, offloading stuff from you know thirty two ten. One of the upsides is I have a and now have an iMac that does twenty four p. Go ahead, John. I have two cheese graters, Mitch. They're sitting right here. They hold up my coffee table. They're perfect for that. And my they held M- up my Pelican case when I was there. It was perfect. My M1 is as fast and as useful as my $7,000 iMac Pro is. So they're jumping with an iMac Pro, especially when the 3 is coming out next year. Good, Mitchell. Well, you know, all things considered, you know, I'm looking at the new Mac Pro and looking at the uh, Ultra Studio. And to be honest with you, I don't think the Mac, uh, the Mac Pro is the way to go. I think the uh, Ultra Studio is so... That's a bit of an incentive to go with that. Spend four thousand instead of ten thousand. Next question. Next question from Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas. For those wanting an all-in-one NDI multicam switcher streamer PTZ, this looks like it could bring hardware stability to NDI use cases. What are your thoughts? Good, Courtney. Well, I took a look at it. It's uh, um, you know thirty-four ninety-five. Uh, it's it's got a built-in screen. It's got audio. It doesn't have a lot of inputs on it. Of course, it's designed for NDI, so it just has one Ethernet jack, one HDMI in, and a couple of USB threes. It has unbalanced audio ins and outs, and some mic ins and a tally lights. That's all it's got as far as I/O goes on it. Um, and it uh, is out of stock. So, <laughs> if you want to try it out, and that's at the manufacturer's website, so they may not have any more. I, I, it looks like a really interesting, I mean, when you're looking for something as a simple pipeline, I think that it could be interesting, especially combined with some of the Netgear stuff and being able to plug that in. It could be a nice, quick uh, stand up, way to stand things up. It could be interesting. We Hopefully, we'll see, be able to see more of it or even get a test unit. Next question. Jay Scott from Mississippi asking, thoughts on selling AI stock images? Is it worth it? And what is a good platform to use it for selling? John? I don't think you can sell them to, I know you can't sell them to, to uh, um, to Adobe or or what's the other big one? Because th- they have to be copyrighted. You can't copyright any generated art. 
Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that, that that's pretty complicated. I I don't believe that you can really claim copyright against AI. I think that it's it's actually generating something based on learning and so on and so forth. But I also don't think you can claim copyright for AI. So, so I think that I think that it's it's in this world. And and people say, well, why would you make the image? Well, because I'm doing. Pre- I the number one reason I use I use a I use Midjourney, which we're about to talk about here in a second, is to do presentation images or do funny images that I send out to people or I do you know like I made uh, I made uh, images for my family last year of Santa Claus for Christmas. And each one of them was customized to my family's, you know, per, you know, interests, you know, and what they do. Um, and, and so, you know, that kind of stuff, it works great. Um, funny things that you send out, it works great. Um, you know, things that you tweet out, uh, presentation graphics, those are great because you don't have to copyright them. And I think that I, I would not, I think that it's a pretty sandy place <laughs> to build a house um, if you're trying to put copyright on top of your AI. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, it's not a very good business model because the thing that you're licensing is really convenience, not the actual images itself, because you probably don't have the right to copyright those since they're AI generated. So plus that anybody can, you know, buy your selection of AI stock images and make copies of it and sell it to all their friends because, hey, it's not copyrighted. So uh, it it doesn't look for a good business model, you know, and plus people can generate them themselves and more custom you know they can create a more custom generate generated image that suits what they actually needed for than to look through tons of ai stock photos to find what uh, represents what they need you know i do think that for the moment prompt engineering as a service for folks who are looking for images for their presentations or other things like that there could be a business there where that you're paying they're paying a certain amount 10 bucks an image or or something where they're giving you a description like this is what I want and you're doing that for them because I will say that it is a skill and it is something that you have to really understand um, how to get what you want out of it we'll talk a little bit about that in the second hour but but the um uh, so the, there is something there that you could probably charge for that, that you're charging basically for your time to produce those for people. I don't know if the, the, the problem with what you really want is stock to pay when you're not around. And that, that I think would be hard. Um, next question. Andre Dole in Berlin. Thinking about a GPT-4 account for our company, can I purchase one license and share the access with colleagues? Your thoughts? Good, John. Certainly a violation of their T's and C's on OpenAI. However, you can use Bing, and Bing is running 4.0 in the in their web browser. So use that for free. Yeah, and, and um, I think, oh, and they're using 4. They're, now, what's the, well, we'll talk about it in the second hour. We'll talk a little bit about ChatGPT as well as MidJourney, because I've got a question for John. Uh, next question. Fundsak Dorji for Dharamshala, India. Hi, panels. Uh, asking for a friend, should we go with an XR18 or a Zoom F6 as his audio gear for his live streaming kit? Go, Jason. That's a strange combination. What I'm thinking is that um, the XR18 is is a is a rack mounted uh, small compact digital mixer, and the Zoom is basically an, an on site recorder that also mixes. So uh, it, it just it depends pretty heavily on on what you're trying to do. All things being even, uh, and we got the space for it. The XR18 is pretty great, but um, I, I've never used it for recording. Good, uh, Courtney. 
Yeah, the XR18 has a, a iPad or a tablet interface for it, but so does the Zoom F6. So if you're going to be recording in the field a lot, rather than just for a you know stock uh, podcasting setup where it's going to be sitting in a rack somewhere and you're never going to go anywhere, then uh, uh, I'd use the F6 if you're going to find production in the field because it's better used for field use and it supports uh, it supports time code recording. Uh, well, I don't think the XR18 does. Yeah, I mean, I I think that um, it it the F six is a great field recorder. I would get the XR eighteen because I'd have a lot more flexibility of what I can do. So there's just a lot more I/O, a lot more flexibility um, to 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 build a more complex event. Uh, I I find it I have a skill in that I can fill up most uh, mixers with something <laughs> like it, you know that's the that that tends to happen pretty quickly. Uh, next question. Next one in from Kajit uh, Flaf. Shitan Flaw Yuzvold from Tromso. Uh, what smart home gadgets would the panel recommend? I have had all my light bulbs replaced with Philips Hughes so far. Uh, go ahead, Nigel. Well, I think you've done the first thing I would do, which is sort out my lighting control. And it's more than just uh, bulbs. It's about lighting control. But I, I would tell you, avoid the gadget. I know a strange place to say this. Avoid the gadget and think about the experience. How do you use your home? Who lives in your home? What do you do with it? And look to automate the things you do most frequently rather than the gadgets that are easiest or sexiest to buy. The second thing I would do, and I know I'm broken record on this, is I would pick one control system. If you're into the G system, use the G system. If you're into HomeKit, pick HomeKit. Pick one and stick with it and get devices that that work with that. Otherwise, you're creating yourselves an integration nightmare. Go ahead, John. I've been doing home automation since X10 modules. Courtney, when did those come out? In the 60s or something? Uh, the only thing that I can recommend with good conscience is the Lutron switches that I have. They're bulletproof. They've been working for years and years and years. Courtney? Yeah, I replaced all my X10s when the AC got so noisy that they wouldn't work anymore. But, uh, yeah, I use uh, the Google Home and Alexa. I'm uh, against what uh, Nigel was saying, going with one version, because sometimes one will do it and the other won't. And all my TVs are enabled with uh, uh, smart controls that interface with all the voice assistants, so I can just turn it on, tell it to tune to a different channel, switch to a different input, go off after 30 minutes. You know, it's really handy to have... Have, uh, to control TVs, especially in the bedroom or your workroom, uh, using a voice assistant like Alexa or the Google Home. Go ahead, Chris. Um, I'm going to side with uh, uh, Nigel about picking a, a platform and sticking with it. I'm doing everything in HomeKit, and one of the things that I've been enjoying is the combination of uh, Eufy video cameras um they work great with the home kit world um and what and the way you can tie them into an apple tv and again apologize is a very apple centric answer um one of the things that's really nice is you can pick which cameras you want to remind you or when they see motion it's like hey somebody's in your front yard hey my you know, my mother is trying to get out of bed and she might need some assistance down the hall. And it'll pop up as a picture in picture when I'm watching something on Apple TV. And I know that from a viewing experience, that's annoying. But when it comes to taking care of my mom, it's actually quite handy. 
Um, I really like that feature. It's something I've been playing with a lot lately. Super quick, Jason. Lutron is completely bulletproof. Uh, HomeKit is my choice. Quick reminder that uh, t- tomorrow, so we're going to be talking about mid-journey here in just a second. Um, tomorrow, uh, we'll have Calrec is going to be joining us and talk about the Type R uh, remote production console. Uh, it's pretty exciting. This is just a box that just does mixing. <laughs> so, so it, and you can remote remote into it. So Calrec will be showing. Rob Lewis will, hear from, will be here from Calrec to talk about that. Um, on Thursday, we'll be talking about the iPhone, uh, how to shoot. Uh, it's, it's, I know when the email went out to TBD, but we'll talk about iPhone video, uh, how to shoot it, how to color correct it, how to deal with log, uh, what, how to connect hard drives to your phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Friday, we're going to talk about cabling. Um, how do we store cables? How do we manage cables? How do we pick cables, build cables? And, you know, and uh, how do we run cables? So we'll be talking about that on Friday. Of course, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Saturday is a weekend. We do a lot of testing on Saturday, so stay tuned for that. And Sunday is introspection. And now let's go ahead and jump into the second hour. Welcome back to the second hour, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about MidJourney and a little bit about ChatGPT. Um, I think that, again, as doing what we do, I think it's important for us to constantly be tracking this stuff and seeing what it can do, what it can't do, um, all of those things, because I think that, you know, it's evolving very, very quickly. And again, when it comes to MidJourney, you know, we're, we, there's a couple features in there that I don't know if we've really, I think we've talked to as a question, um, uh, but I don't think that we've really talked to it, spent, uh, in this case, probably a half an hour or so on it um, because of the, um, because we, you know, and we have new versions coming out, but I think that it's important to see what it's doing and how it's evolving um, down that path. And so we're going to answer any questions that you have um, today and we'll show a couple things. I'll show a little bit more of that car, the car, the, the car that I showed, the cars that I showed in the first hour were part of me trying to get mid journey to do something and I couldn't get it to do it. Then I finally figured out a way. I was like, I woke up this morning going, I know exactly how to get it to do what I needed to do. And I'll talk about how to negotiate with, uh, with MidJourney to, to get some of those things out. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let, uh, and let John talk a little bit about some of the new features, both that we have out now, as well as some of the stuff that we expect to be coming in six. Go ahead, John. First, we gather here today to celebrate the life of prompt engineering. I think prompt engineering is dying. I wrote a big article on LinkedIn on prompt engineering. It reminds me of writing regular expressions on on a Unix command window. And Midjourney has announced that they're going to move, when they move to six, it's going to be all web-based interface. And so when, a lot of the switches that you see on prompts will all be embedded into the GUI. So, yeah, but I mean, there's prompt engineering, but there's also thinking about how to ask for something, right? I mean, there's, there's the but prompts. It's a, it's, it's a community, it's a, it's a conversation that you're having with the, all of the prompt, everything after the conversation will be embedded in the GUI. And so you're saying that there, there'll be, so as we go into the, into the future, uh, the things that say like 16, AR, you know, aspect AR, ratio, the, right. all of, all of those switches will all be built into the GUI. But I still think that that one of the things that's going to continue to be important is how you ask for things. I mean, I think that we find that conversation, the languaging that you use. I mean, I think that the prompt engineering of, of you know, some some basic stuff that we put in, I completely agree with you that that wants to be button, <laughs> like not, you know, not there. But I think that, you know, we, used, we, we say a lot or I've said a lot for a long time. If it's not it's not what you know, it's how well you Google, you know, like an and. 
you know, and it's how you ask Google for things that you get things. And that hasn't changed for a decade or more, you know, where, you know, it's how you phrase. Yeah, Chris is only two decades, um, but how you phrase things and how you talk about it. We talked a little bit about this in the first hour with um, when I talked to ChatGPT, it hallucinated all the time until I realized that I needed to give it a source, a method and, and a target, you know, or goal. And if I gave it those three things, it was accurate most of the time, you know, and not still not all the time. I still had to check on it. And I didn't, I'm not going to, you know, create a federal case around anything that ChatGPT gives me. But as an exploration device, um, I found that it became much more useful um, once I started to do that. And so, um, you know, a couple things that will, I'm going to kind of scroll through a couple things here um, as we as we go here to, to kind of show you, um, I think that I have, let me see here. <laughs> show you the many, the many uh, trials and tribulations of uh, me trying to get something out. So I'll give you an example of this and then we can kind of talk through it is um, I won, I, someone was arguing with me on Twitter. This is what, this is what I use, you know, mid journey for. Someone's arguing with me and I want to build an illustration. That illustration that I showed you earlier was the illustration I was trying to build, which is like, you know, like this is the problem. And, um, and so, I, and I do this and I also, I do a lot of, um, uh, of chat GPT. I mean, not chat GPT. Oh, sometimes I use chat GPT to build the images inside of mid journey. So I tell chat GPT, this is what I want. And then chat GPT gives me this like paragraph of stuff to put in a mid journey and I get more detail out of it. Um, and so, um, anyway, so, but if I, if we look at this, this was, this is how it began. And if I go to, let me see if I can go down to, uh, let's see. Um, so the, um, so what I said here is I want a racetrack with a Yugo next to a muscle car. And so I got two muscle cars. And I just couldn't, you know, like, it was like, there was, they, 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 I couldn't get them to go. I was like, no, I want it, it glam lighting, you know, shot. And there's a couple of things in here that, that you'll see here, race, um, muscle car, glam lighting, uh, shot. And I, I oftentimes will give it lenses, um, what kind of light style, National Geographic, um, you know, and I give it my aspect ratio. And so you see me starting to work with these muscle cars, trying to, okay, now I want a Yugo hatchback because it kept on giving me two muscle cars. Then I got two Yugos. Um, and then I got, um, you know, then I said I wanted it to be next to a Ferrari car because it was doing something else. Um, and then I got kind of, this is, this, this was really, I thought this was great. This was like, it's like an M3, but a Yugo. Uh, it, and the hallucinations that, that it has are, are, are kind of, um, uh, kind of fun and kind of frustrating. So I kept on asking for things and I dropped out the racetrack part and just said I wanted it. So now I start getting them all over the place. And these are lots of different versions of Yugos. Like a, if you, if you bred a Yugo with a BMW, you would get this. Um, you know, and so, which I, all of these are, are kind of fun to, <laughs> fun to watch. Then I tried to do Range Rover. I thought maybe that would make it better, but it did not. Um, and so one of the things that I, that I, um, realized is, is that I could use one of the new features. Oh, this, by the way, is, there was someone who was posting this yesterday about um, Dolly, and I took exactly what Chase put into his um, system for Dolly and put it into here. And this was just a, a um, children's coloring book. I think that Courtney was talking about this, um, but a turtle playing with fish. And here, these are four options, you know, for, for that. But it was, this is this was something that was built for Dolly. I just threw it into Mid Journey to see what it would what it would produce, and that's what it what it produced there. But when you're talking about building a story that might be a coloring book, um, you know, very quickly. Uh, these are um, kind of amazing as far as, you know, what it, what it can put together in, in seconds. Here's, here's a close-up of one of those, of one of those images um, as a, you know, you could build an entire coloring book for your kids very quickly. Uh, will it be as good as someone who did it by hand? Uh, probably not, but it 
it's something you can do in seconds. Um, now, here, here's a, so then what I did here is I said, give me a racetrack. Um, I realized I could separate this out, and this is one of the newer features. This is 5.3, this isn't five, not, not uh, six. Put the Yugo on the right of the frame, and then I gave it all the National Geographic and AR and style and everything else. So it still didn't get most of what I wanted except for one shot. So here's my Yugo little race car here. So I took that shot, and you can see it. Now, this is where a bunch of the um, 5.3 stuff starts to come out. So you can see, um, you know, very strong, very subtle, but more importantly, very region. So... um, so here with very region, you can actually select it. I'll show this in a second. Um, well, I'll do it here. So we'll do so we'll do a very region. Well, and I can also we talked about this I think in the past, but you can zoom out, zoom you can zoom out a cup you know uh, uh, up to two x. Um, you can also go to the right. So one of the things I did here is you'll see that I, I wanted to pan to the right. So I created an opening here. So if I wanted to composite something in, I just pan to the right and tell it what I want to put into that area. Um, that so I just said pan right here. I didn't tell it to do anything at this point. So here's an open area. So if you wanted to composite something into the racetrack that you did, you can basically say pan over, which I think is kind of a, a fascinating um, thing to do. And, and, and then I here I asked it for a Ferrari, and I didn't I didn't select it right. Let me see if I can uh, let's see if we can do this here. So um, it didn't do anything in this one here because I just um, I did Ferrari 308, and then I said sports car sitting next to it, and I uh, and I still got nothing. You know, like it was like, and then I realized I needed to say, oh, and then I said man walking. <laughs> this is where things start to hallucinate. Like it didn't really quite figure out what to do do with this. This is not walking, and this is not a man. And this is something else that's there. So this is the negotiation. I'm giving you kind of the raw view of the negotiation that occurs as you start to go through it. Um, and then I finally uh, got to a point where I said, you know, I want, I said, add, I, I didn't say just Ferrari, but I said, add Ferrari sports car on a track and still didn't do it for two of these. But then it started adding this, these, uh, the, the Ferraris onto the, onto the track next to it. So now I'm getting closer to it. Um, and then I said, uh, you know, add the Ferrari, I had to just do it again here. So you can see that now it's got this Ferrari sitting next to the Yugo, which is mostly what I wanted. But then I told it to, um, I I took this one and I said, I want to zoom out 1.5 X. And what I got is, and oh, actually I want to zoom out. I want to pan over, sorry, pan over here. I did a 1.5 X as well, but I wanted to pan over. So when I panned over, what I thought was really interesting is, and then added more cars. <laughs> it was like, I was like, and you want some more cars, you know? And I, and I, uh, and I, what I can do here, what I could do here, we'll try it. Um, I could say empty track, you know, add an empty track to it. So, so for instance, if I wanted to do that again, you know, I can click on it here. I'll, we'll get to the bottom here. So, um, so here is the, you know, um, the, the situation here. So I, I made these ones here, but I could say, okay, I want to, um, here I could say, I want to pan right, but I want to add empty empty track. We'll see what happens. We'll start thinking for a little while while we talk. And then the other thing I could do is, um, you know, you can go in here and say, I want, uh, let's see, very region. So this is where you have very region here. And I can go in here and I can say, I can select this we'll just start with this this could 
because I'm cutting over them, this may not turn out well, but we'll try it anyway. And I'll say add storm storm clouds with, and I have not tried this. So this is just me just seeing like, let's see what happens. Add storm clouds with lightning. All right, I'll try that. So, but you can select certain areas and then make make requests of it. Um, so here I have, this is me adding the empty track. It did, it kind of ignored me, uh, not completely, um, but it, it is empty track next to the Ferrari. Um, here's, yeah, see, this is what happens when you cut off the top. There we go. So, um, uh, so here we have, I said add empty track and it, it kind of gave me an empty track, but it still hasn't, but when you think about what it's doing here, it's kind of, it's still kind of amazing, um, that it has this little track here. Um, I think, and then you have this. It added all these stands, the motion blur, everything else all the way down the side here um, that, that's there. Um, here is the add lightning. It got pretty excited about the lightning. This is like, this has um, gotten a little out of control. This one's on fire now. It's been kind of lit up. Um, you can also see that it, it also, because I, this is what I'm always careful about when I ask for something new in the image is I'm going over my subject. A lot of times it will start to, you know, it, it's now, the subject is now part of the, of the game. Oh, this is a really cool Yugo. If you think about it, like these little like race car, race car Yugos is kind of fun. Um, but you can, you know, a lot of times what I end up doing is going back and, and adding, um, you know, changing, you know, I, this is, this is an iteration. And when I get into something that I'm trying to produce, I, uh, you know, I mean, build hundreds of these images um, to get exactly what I want, which all happens very quickly. I mean, like I can, in 15 minutes, I mean, when you think about what it would take to do concept work, you know, out of this, it would be, it would be quite a thing. But the thing that, that was really added, I mean, there's a, there's a couple other things, but this, this idea of being able to vary the level of that you're varying the zoom in and zoom out or the zoom outs of being able to create something. So like I can have this image here and just say, I just want to zoom out two X and now it's going to make some stuff up. Like it's just going to zoom out two X, um, and make more up that's around it. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, if you look at, while we're, look, while we're waiting for that, we can hit settings. Alex, have you seen the zoom out animations? I've done some. So I've done powers of 10, uh, powers of 10 shot. So what I do with that, I don't think I have an example that's, that's um, ready to go. But the, um, uh, one of the things that um, I have... Uh, that I've done inside of those, those animations are powers of 10 shots where I took a seal on a, a seal on an iceberg. I don't know why I, I just decided that was going to be what I was going to do. Zoomed out 10 times. And then what I did is I, it's on a Mac break. I think when we were talking about it and I then stack every image on top of the other ones, you know, so I, I scale them all and I stack them all on top. So you can just keep on pushing into that, that image. It, it works pretty well. You don't get the parallax, but it's like you're zooming in. Um, it's not like you're moving in. So here you can see that I did a, a 2x backup. So I just had it back up and give me more, more frames, you know, more frame, you know, in it, which is kind of an amazing, again, it's seamless in the area that the, the image that you had in the center is exactly what it was before. It just simply built around that, um, you know, to make that actually work. Uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yes, but does it know enough about a Yugo if you you ask it to show it on lap 23, it'll have the headlight hanging out and the door missing and maybe the hood up. <laughs> well, let's find out. So, so anyway, so, uh, let's see here. So if I, um, 
uh, let's see if I have this set up correctly. Let's see. Let's go back to this. And um, I go over to here. And let's say, imagine uh, you go uh, on a racetrack after many laps um, with uh, missing, what is it, one light? Went, went, went with, with anyway, well, yeah. I was just wondering if uh, Mid Journey was smart one, enough to. No, it won't know that. But you have to be a little more, you have to talk to know a little bit more. the quality of the Yugo, you know. The Yugo on the racetrack after no, many have it, laps. Have it smoke. One light. Have it smoke. Light, one light hanging out. Um, hanging out. A broken uh, rear, uh, broken um, door mirror. bellowing smoke from the back. And then what I usually do is I'll go up here and grab some of my suffixes. This is where I add all this stuff and then I go, okay, I want, and I want that, right? Yeah. Copy that. So in the new web interface, you're saying all those suffixes that tell it the camera size and... Yes. Well... Some of it will be. I mean, some of it you'll still add because, you know, it's, it, are they going to put a button in for a Nikon D? And maybe, maybe, maybe. And different people will do different things with it as well. So we'll give that a shot. So we'll say, boom. So now it's working. So we'll see what happens there. It takes a little bit for it to think about it. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so the, uh, um, and, you know, I have this one. I don't, I haven't used turbo mode. I don't know how expensive turbo mode is. <laughs> so it's, it is, uh, I'm sure it's much faster, but, uh, and I have, you know, I, I, uh, I never run out of. Uh, I thought you had the highest subscription. Does I do, but, you know, the highest subscription still has a limit. It's not unlimited. It's limited to a certain amount of server. Um, this looks, this, this looks promising. Um, I don't know if I don't see if it got the hanging light. Maybe the hanging light, maybe it needs to be in the front. Let's see here, but let's see here. So we have, um, <laughs> maybe it doesn't understand the physics. Yeah, the du- it looks racing. like dust being stirred up by the... Yeah, I know. It looks like it's it, it kind of got dust coming out of the back of it, but it's uh, this one's probably the closest to like, and, and then, then you can say, okay, well, give me the full size of this. Um, Let's see. So we'll we'll get a full-size version of this. Now, this is where we can play with this and see what happens. I don't know if it'll work or not, but we can say very region. I think it has a family in the back. <laughs> yeah, does it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> what about the whole family? All right. Um, and anyway, but but you can do, let's see, let's, let's select um, this area right here and say add racing number. Six. Or crash damage. Six. Yes. <laughs> or five for the Mach 5. Or 53 for Herbie. Okay. All right. Um, I will make it five. Number five for the Mach 5. Hold on. All right. See what it does here. Has it gotten better with letters and numbers? Because you know it, you can ask it now in the regenerative. You can put it, tell it to put something in there, and it will. Um, it'll actually do real words. Uh, it, I have had it put in real real words. It won't do it in the first pass. Uh, it kind of is doing it. I don't know. It, it may still be hallucinating here. Hold on. I don't know if we're, I think we're going to get a racing number. I don't know if we're going to get a five out of it. 
Let's see. I haven't quite, yeah, it's just like, and then I will put a number on the side, kind of. And here's another one that kind of did. So this is the, this is where you can negotiate. Now, this is also a place where Photoshop does a better job. So what you can do is you can take this image into Photoshop using the new beta and just circle that and say, give me it's a five. It's not beta anymore. Oh, it's not beta. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's out of 24. Photoshop 2024. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, hopefully that, um, there you go. There's some, some of the new bits and pieces that are available. It, it's, you know, and again, you can, you can see how I might say you might be, you know, your project might be spinning its wheels and you cut to that, to that image in your presentation. And it's a funny image that I got to tell you, adding a bunch of really funny, like the other ones are like in the style of Pixar, you know, is a great one to just make, make images that you use in your, in your uh, presentations. It's a lot of fun. Um, go, Courtney, do you have anything else to add? I was just going to say, I saw a news story recently where Dolly 3, which is now out, uh, is able to do uh, words, you know, it doesn't hallucinate, doesn't do strange hallucinatory uh, words and letters. It does actual words and letters. So, so John, I, I, tell, let me know. I, I heard that they did that on purpose, that the words I, are... I, the words I, are scrambled on purpose. I was told that they did it to to thwart copyright trademark infringement. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. So yesterday I was working with a, a producer, and uh, she have we talked about Kubrick, C U, Brick mm -hmm. Kubrick. Apparently, it is another you know uh, mid journey sort of type tool that creates stuff. We were using it to create. <clears throat> she was trying to create some some uh, green screen plates for a video we were working on, and uh, I ended up just calling John. I said, "John, can you hop into this Zoom meeting?" <laughs> so my 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 experience with Mid Journey is call John. Uh, but we we the, the executive producer had pitched um, in the style of Wes Craven, and somebody elbowed her and said, "No, Wes Anderson." Oh yeah, Wes Anderson. Two different things. And so we wanted some uh, some backgrounds for this guy talking, like a, a forced perspective, you know, very center frame, Wes Anderson-y. And John did, we added the phrase in the style of Wes Anderson. I got to say, it, it did a really good job. Yeah, it, it, it I've done ones, I, one of my favorite artists is Ivan Durrell, and I've done things where I said, like, give me a Star Wars poster in the style of, a Star Wars poster in the style of Ivan Durrell, and it's, they just look amazing. Because <laughs> Ivan, you know, uh, it's, and if you didn't, if you weren't an Ivan Durrell um, aficionado, you'd probably look at them and go, uh, you know, like, it, did, did he do some of the Star Wars stuff? You're like, it, it, it very much feels like that. It's kind of a, um, and, and, you know, this is the kind of stuff that, uh, I don't know why it looked. Oh. <laughs> Then this is what happens when you when you give it when you get when you spell it the wrong way. So I was trying to I wanted I wanted to show this this idea of what I do for for fun things and um and so this is uh the, the, I said I said um I wanted a confused a, a confused businessman with glasses over a plain white background, but I misspe misspelled plain because I was typing too fast or it autofilled so. It I spelled it B-L-A-N-E. <laughs> a lot of white planes behind him. <laughs> instead, of, 
instead of a plane white background, I got a plane behind the whole time. But but if you look at the quality of this of these renders, I mean, I, again, I didn't say head to toe. I didn't say all the other things that I normally do. But you can see how you get these great and you, and then what happens is you start to build from those. You know what those what those look like. Um, and uh, for again for for presentations, it's pretty fun. You know, like it's it, it adds a little bit of levity. You'll get to some point and suddenly you'll be like you'll know, see somebody's um, you'll see some fun image. And it's, what's interesting about it is, is it's, you know, a lot of times you get into the situation where there's a stock art that's really good and everybody has it and it's shown up all over the place and you're doing stock art that looks really fun and nobody has it except for you, you know, in your presentation. So it's, I, I do think that the low cost stock market is dead. You know, like it's, there's no reason to, I mean, we're not there yet, but within the next year or two, there'll be no reason to buy inexpensive stock art, you know, to do this stuff. And in some cases, expensive stock art to, to do this stuff. The advantage that it might be is to be able to um, not have to worry about copyright. So if you're buying it from Getty or something like that, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, next question. Um, oh, can't, can't hear you, Mitch. You okay, Mitch? Right, I can take it over. He's having some uh, internet problems. I'll nope, we got it back. Sorry. You got it? It, okay. It cycled all the way through. Okay, coming in. Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas. Is MidJourney still accessed by via Discord? What's the best way to access it and what OS and platform? John? So you, you just saw Alex. Alex was in Discord showing us all that stuff. It, you can also access all of your pictures via the web now. Uh, they've added that within the last 12 months. So they're moving... Version six is moving into their website, so so, the so if I log in, I can I can actually get to all the images yeah. I've ever created. Yeah, oh, that'd be really useful because I have some ones that are early. I had another one. I can't. Re- I'll have to go back and look at it. That that I I misspelled something when I wrote it, and it just created this series of incredible images that I, I thought I should turn into a book. And all so your stuff I, and all your prompts are in your in the website. Oh man, I gotta check that out. It's great. It's a, it's way faster. Uh, yeah. We're in, we're in my mid journey servers in my rocket site, and so I've got Sky and a bunch of other people in there, and it's hard to find my stuff in there. Yeah, and you go to the website, you can find your stuff way, way easier. So, version six moving to the web, Paul, and so then it's going to be a lot easier, and a lot of the switches will be built into the GUI. Next question. Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas. What does the full mid-journey process look like from conception of the idea to the finished product? And how long does it take for you? I know there's a certain amount of cleanup that has to be done. Is any of it done without the use of AI? Uh, yeah, so I, I'm, you kind of saw me start to do some of those images. That's what it takes. Now, I'm, I'm on fast mode. I'm not on turbo mode. Um, so I don't know what that, you know, turbo mode would be a little bit faster than that. But you put, you, you get your, here, I'll cut back to this here. Hold on. Let me, um, so if we cut back to here, um, you know, when you're thinking about a concept, you know, you just start, you know, you start typing. Now, I have a whole lot of, you know, cheats where I have, an, I have a notes document that everything that produced something useful, I cut and paste into it. So I'm like, oh, that was a good look. You know, that was a thing. But we, we, we can do, we'll do this, the same thing that I was just talking about. So imagine, um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Imagine a um, Star Wars uh, um, movie poster in the st- in the style um Norman of Rockwell. Wes Anderson. Oh, okay. 
Um, and then we'll say, but in this case, we will um, say AR 9 by 16, because that'll be more of what we would see, right? A kind of a long poster. Um, yeah, let's try to think of anything else we want to put in there, but like, we'll just we'll just start with that. Um, did I get that right? I don't think. No, down, lowercase. You mean your your one sheet size nine by sixteen? So it's gonna be. Oh, you know what? What's funny is, is you can do nine by nineteen, and that is your iPhone, right? <laughs> so if you want to have an iPhone uh, uh, screen, so let's let's give that a shot. So here you go. You get this um, this process, and you'll see if they, and we'll see if we, we're going. The first one is kind of going fishing. Like, what is it going to give you as you start to you know let it go? And so it's it's waiting to start. There we go. See now you can see it. It's in the same. It's in more of a long poster, but I made it a little longer, which would be I could literally use it as a screen. A nine by nineteen turns out to be the right aspect ratio for your um, uh, for your screen. For problem is iPhone. Sorry, Wes Anderson for an iPhone. <laughs> Wes Anderson is all horizontal stuff, not vertical. Either. I know, but this is but but the posters are still going to be the West. The posters that still end up. Oh my gosh! Well, it's really you, funny. Yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> I can already see it. All right, um, and again, the text will be off. But uh, let's see here. Let's take a look. I mean, look at a Wookiee wanted picture. This is so Wes Anderson, though. This is like the Isle of Dogs. Um, The uh, look, look at these little. um, I mean, this is a very Wes Anderson. So then, what you can do is you can say, "I want to." um, You can tell it to do a couple different things. So one is we can say, "Give me more versions of number three. That's this one over here. I can I can change things if I want to. I'm gonna leave it the leave it the way it is right now, Um, and give me a. More ver- so a lot of times what you're doing is you're kind of you, you you keep on producing ones you know versions of those but I might want a full version of this and a full version of that the the full versions will happen very quickly because I think it's already rendered them so it it pops up here um, so here's your <laughs> the to war but but you can fix that. Um, but you can you can see how you could you could very quickly think that <laughs> you'd believe that that was a Wes Anderson, um, and then they'll pop down here at the bottom. Here's here's your full res of number three here. So you can you, you could relatively quickly pull these things out. But if you did this, I mean, people would you, you could probably sell people on the idea that that was a Wes Anderson uh, production. Um, here's and then what it does is it gives you a bunch of different versions of it here. So you can decide what you you know where you want to go with it from there. Um, here's a, here's Isn't other version. West the bus. What is that? West the bus. Yeah, exactly. What's the bus? What, oh, was a West the bus? <laughs> yeah, like it's you know it, it it just throws some random text in there for the most part. So um, so anyway, so there's this is the uh, um the kind of thing that it'll produce for you really quickly, and that's how it's then that, that's how it begins. That's how it starts. Um, next question. Next question from Paul again in Austin, Texas. How can a traditional artist get mid-journey to adapt to their style and process, or is there a better tool for this? And does any tool look at a set of paintings and learn how to do them? Go, John. Yeah, you can you can give mid-journey styles of Van Gogh, Rembrandt, all that kind of stuff. I think I think in the long run, Photoshop's going to win this war. Uh, Midjourney's just been amazing that they haven't sold out yet because they right. could make billions of dollars if they did. 
uh, just amazing. And they're all self-funded and they're, they're cash flow positive, which is absolutely amazing. But, but everybody has been using Photoshop for the past 30 years. And the way you build a composition in layers with masking is a very familiar paradigm for, for artists. And so they're comfortable in that modality and the generative fills are not as good as, as mid journey, but I think it's an easier way to build a composition. Next question. Laura Thompson in Beaumont, Texas asks, does Midjourney have a way to generate alt text tags for the image or could chat GPT do it? Um, I think you could, you could, well, with Midjourney, you could theoretically pump your image back in and have it um, analyze it and it would give you a text of everything that was there. Um, a lot of people, when you're following them on Twitter, actually do alt text of what they put in of the image. You know, so Chase, and I can't think of Chase's last name, but he's the one, that, one of the people that I follow on Twitter that, and if you go to the alt text, what it tells you is that it'll actually tell you what the prompt was. Um, but, but it can do those descriptions. Go ahead, John. The new version, the new vision services inside of multiple modalities built into ChatGPT could do this with with no sweat. Uh, Go ahead, uh, Jason. Um, Also, one of the newer accessibility features in macOS will actually describe an image to somebody who's visually impaired. I'm not sure how good it is. I haven't really played with it, but um, all on device and um, I I would assume decent if they've rolled it out to mainstream. Uh, Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I meant uh, next question. Sorry. Paul Wallace uh, from Austin, Texas. Who wins the Bard versus ChatGPT fight of the century? <laughs> I think uh, I think that ChatGPT is winning right now, but I think we're the, we're in day one of a of a, of a big move. So I don't. I wouldn't think too hard about it right now. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Consumers always win when large companies compete. Yeah, maybe not the artists, but the consumers do. <laughs> so next question. Sheetan Flau from Wierswold uh, and Trumso, the difference between Style Zero and Stylized 3000 is insane, specifically when making illustrations or drawings. Go, John. Yeah, I thought Stylized only went to 1,000, but there is a huge difference between Zero to to whatever the top range is. I thought it was 1,000. Yeah, there's some, all these, all these, you know, weird switches will be in the interface in six, which hopefully we'll see before the end of the year. Next question. Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas. Can Midjourney be used to create images that can be used to treat mental illness or other health conditions? Uh, I'm sure someone can think of something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Next question. And it's our friend Shitin Flo from Yuzvold from Tromso. What new settings were available in the newest version? Stuff like weird, uh, dash dash AR, dash dash stylized, and so on. Yeah, I haven't done the weird one as much um, or, or done it, but weird just kind of lets it loose. You know, like it, it's a kind of stylized, don't worry about being caught into it. AR is the aspect ratio, which we've already shown. Stylized is how far it's going to go down that road. Um, and I don't, I think because we're going to cut off a little early here, we'll probably, we'll do this in a lab, but you'll see a lab pop up here. We'll, I think that we, we started doing those and then we haven't done enough of them. So we'll probably do more of those pretty soon. Um, next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, back. Can Midjourney be used to create images that have the same emotional impact as human-created art? Go, John. Thanks to Chris Fenwick, I had, in my presentation, I have a gallery of of generated art from Midjourney. And there, when you see it on projector, the image is really small. Chris, Chris made them all full screen and had them zoom in and out and fade in and out. And I can't tell you that when I show those, I get the oohs and the ahs from the audience. 
And one of the images I generated looks exactly like the Afghan girl from National Geographic. Wasn't inspired by that at all. We were just typing stuff in one day and it came up and it looks super close to that image in National Geographic. It's one of the highlights of my presentation. Go ahead, Chris. You're welcome, Sean. Um, here's my thought on, on art. I think that when you start breaking down what it is that you like about art, one of the things that I like is something that is um, has a little bit of surprise to it. Not off, not off the wall, but like, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, oh, that's an interesting angle to go to. And I think that, you know, watching you create the the Yugo race car, Alex, is interesting, um, but also a little frustrating. You know, because it's you're really shooting in the dark. You know, I mean, you try, you put in the words, and and it gets a little closer and a closer, closer, closer. But, but, I think I think there's something about humanity and that surprise and that awe and that wonder that when you're trying to be purposeful in the way you change somebody's emotion, I don't know that I want. A computer to randomly stylize 23, you know, get me there. Um, it's fascinating. And, you know, I'm going to use one of these images in a video I'm editing the, today. It's fine. But I don't know. I, I like to be I like to be pleasantly surprised by a human's thought process. Well, and I, and I, and I don't think I, de I definitely don't think that this is a replacement. You know, I think that this is a, um, you know, we uh, I think that this is something I use it more for, again, what I would consider um, disposable images, which are stuff that's in a presentation that I don't, I, I'm never going to pay someone to to do these, you know. And so, so I think that um, there's definitely, uh, so I think that there's a place for it. Uh, I still work with artists and like if, you, if you're actually doing professional work and you need something to look a certain way, there's nothing like working with an artist that can draw it. <laughs> You know, like, so, you know, and so, so the, um, now I think that there's somewhere, and again, um, I think that all of this stuff is going to give us, and I keep on looking back at things like electronica and, you know, electronic music as well as, you know, electronic music is dancing with the machine, right? In the same way that this is dancing with the machine. I've got, I, I set up some stuff and I start plugging things in and I start watching what it does. A lot of times it's not something that's explicit. It is something that I'm, I'm, listening for what I like out of something that it's doing. And it's not the same as someone playing the guitar. It's not someone playing the trumpet or, or something like that. And and I have an incredible amount of respect. And my, my daughter, you know, is playing, she's in like four bands playing the bass. And so she, she practices like three hours a day for different things and she's getting really good. And, uh, but I, as her father know what it took to get there, you know, and that's a different, and so I don't want to take away from that because it, it is something different. But I also think that, um, but I think that being able to, there is something about electronica and there's also something about the resampling culture and using that underneath things. I have something I want to say. I'm going to add music that other people made, you know, so that I can say the thing I say because I don't have that skill. The skill I have is being able to say it, not be able to play those things, you know, and I think that that, you know, and people didn't think that that was music, but it's kind of taken over, you know, and it doesn't mean that I don't love sitting down and watching someone on um, on stage playing an incredible piece with a guitar, you know, or a violin or many other things. There's an incredible experience of doing that. Um, I went to see a, a flamenco presentation like in Novato. <laughs> they just had it in the like the, the city hall 
stunned, like just stunned of humans to exactly what you're talking about, Chris, humans doing human things. That was just really (laughs) profound. Um, But I, but I also like the idea that I can throw something together really quickly. So my fear is real quickly is you say it and you and I agree, this is not a replacement for humans. But my fear is, is that the, I believe that the majority of people think that it is. Well, uh, you know, we used to have people make cups for us, and now we have a machine to do that. Like, we used to have people pot up bottle stuff. I mean, like, like there are, but I still love cups that are made by hand. <laughs> you know, I have quite a few of them. So, so the, the, the thing is, is that, but, but I think in, you know, the, there are many, many things that get replaced by some kind of mechanization over time. It doesn't mean that the, it just means that a lot of us do some of these things as hobbies until we're exceptionally good at it. Um, there's a lot of people that play violin, but only, uh, you know, a very small percentage actually get to do it and get paid for it. Yeah, go to Courtney. Yeah, I think that if you look at their community showcase, you know, there's tons of emotional impact images here, you know, that uh, of this little castle or look at this screaming transition and from to werewolf guy right. or, you know, starry night. You can imitate. Uh, and again, I think artist, that, or, I, you know, or even this uh, poster from the 80s of a 80s movie with celebrities like, you know, you almost recognize some of those celebrities. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I think, again, I, I don't think that um, I, have a, I have a lot of friends that are great artists and I don't, you know, uh, they're mostly busy. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that that I think that there's something they bring to it that I don't think it'll take a long time for to be brought to by a machine. But I think it's always important for us to know where it's at right now. Uh, go ahead. Next question. Peter Belbin from Houston, Texas, wants to know, can mid-journey create scalable output, for example, SVG output, or once you get to a particular image you want, at that point, can high-resolution output then be generated? Uh, go ahead, John. Two questions in one here. So the, they don't support vectors yet, but it's coming. They talk about that. The CEO has talked about vector graphics being integrated into mid-journey. And, and then as far as scalability goes, you can do what Alex did, is you can pan out um, right or left and you can increase the size and then a lot of people bring this into either Photoshop or use Topaz to increase it out. I've seen wallpaper made out of mid-journey images that come out great. Um, the uh, uh, There is another, I can't remember what it's called, Trace Journey I think is called Trace Journey. You can take your mid-journey stuff and put it into Trace Journey and Trace Journey will turn it into SVGs um, so that there is a way to make that actually work. Um, next question. Neil Avalado from Boca Raton, Florida. How to prompt to create the image, including the alpha channel? Um, so the only way to really do that is to pr- do it over a plain white background or a plain background. Make sure to uh, spell white or plain correctly, but otherwise you get a, an airplane, but uh, it, uh, that's the way to do that. And then you're going to have to extract it. There's not, I, it, it's not rendering it out with alpha channels. Now, when Photoshop does generative AI, it does, but it's not really a true alpha channel because it's kind of integrating it with stuff that's in the background. So it's not, it is, uh, it's, it's got an alpha channel though to it, but it's not clean. Uh, next question. And it's from Adrian Watkins from Wellington, New Zealand, coming in from QR code. Is there a good collection of prompt examples? Uh, and by the way, um, that was uh, Adrian also pointed out he used the radio app <laughs> to do that, to do this. So that I think he might be the first one. Go ahead, John. Yeah. So the best thing to do is just to go to the Mid Journey um, um, Discord channel 
and they've got tons they've got thousands and thousands of examples of images with the prompt there so you can get a great example of the pros in there yeah and and there are some chase lean is someone that i follow um it's uh uh uh, Chase Lean TJ in um, on Twitter, and he posts a lot of like he'll figure something out and then he'll explain what he did with it to make it work. And I I follow him and kind of definitely draft off of him a little bit. But as John said, especially in whatever the daily challenges are or other things, you're going to see people experimenting with stuff. And these folks are doing it every single day and they're thinking about it all the time. And you can definitely learn a lot um, by going through that. And the other thing I've noticed is I learned I've learned a lot more about. Um, uh, I have used, I've learned a lot about artistic styles much more than I ever had before because I'll go in the style of this or I want to do this or I'm trying to do that. It's a, it's a um, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, go ahead, next question. Peter Belbin from Houston, Texas asks, how often are people using ChatGPT to assist in creating mid-journey prompts to provide more of what's intended? Go ahead, John. You know, I kind of keep, I kind of have my little routine where I go directly into mid-journey and I'll type in, a very, um, a very small description of what I'm looking for. And then I do what Alex did and he just showed us 15 different iterations of trying to get the cars to come out. And if I get stuck, I go into chat GPT and have it, have it write a long, long prompt. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. You get some crazy stuff when you ask chat GPT to do it. Cause it'll, it'll, it'll write a huge paragraph, um, to, to make that actually work. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, when you, I was going to ask, uh, John, when you're doing that, do you tell ChatGPT to create a mid-journey prompt specifically? Or do you just say, you know... Yep, mid-journey create, prompt. You say mid-journey prompt. So you prompt it with prompt. All right, we're going to end a little early, um, and some of us are going to jump into after hours uh, to take a look at the Zoom open. Um, so, good conversation uh, about about um, mid-journey. I think that that was, uh, that was a great little... I, again, we're just we just want to keep track of it you know i think that even if you're if you don't think that it's a good idea or other things you need to know where it's at because it's moving very fast this is an incredible you know ai in general is moving very quickly so it's important for us to keep knowing about what it looks like and again i think that in the area that a lot of us are using it it's really effective um and again i i, I still hire a lot of artists to do things but but it's it's really useful to be able to concept out things um that 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 can be done so i think it's a pretty interesting uh process there um the uh, uh thank you to the panelists for showing up for the first and second hour and having this little conversation uh th thank you to the um to the all the producers who asked the great questions in the first hour and second hour all over the uh, qr code as well as uh inside of makana thanks to the incredible team that is working on the planning for this. It's working on the execution of these things and working on the coding for all of this. It's an incredible team that puts all this together seven days a week. We really appreciate everybody's contribution. Um, the, uh, in the Tlaloc traversal, uh, we traveled and wait for it. I moved my windows around 80, 88,000 miles. That's 141,000 kilometers. And that's 698 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. <laughs> 